0: Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Okay, so today we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally, uh, if you you think about the kind of priority of texts, like we're going through a series in the book of 1 Kings. And so normally I would be spending, I would be saying like the main text is from the book of 1 Kings. But this is kind of interesting. I feel like God was leading me to actually use a different text to be the primary one and be the main point. And then we're going to be kind of using the text from 1 Kings as a way of illustrating and understanding the point of a different text, okay? So I'm actually going to read two texts. Um, maybe I'll read three. No, okay. I'll, <laughs> I'm going to read two different texts, not from 1 Kings, as a way of kind of, giving the main point, I'm going to explain it a little bit, and then we're going to be looking at First Kings. So the first text we're going to look at is Proverbs chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and then, fine, I won't do the other one. I was going to do one from Matthew, but whatever. we'll just do Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and this is really, I think, the main kind of, uh, the, main, the main. I mean, it's honestly the main point is just this verse. Uh, So let me read from it. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me read it one more more time. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Uh, This is God's word. Let's pray. Um, Dear Lord, uh, you see our hearts. Um, You understand our hearts in ways that we often can't. Um, And so, Lord, I pray you would bring the illumination of your Holy Spirit um, by your word to help us understand our hearts and know where they are before you. And by doing that, you would restore us if we're wandering. Um, You would be encouraging us if we're weak and faltering. Um, And ultimately, Lord, it would bring us refreshment and joy in our communion and sweet fellowship with you, Lord. Um, So I pray that this would spur us on to seek you, to keep our hearts, um, and that would be such a joy for us. We love you so much. Pray for your power and spirit to be at work through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I just wanna talk about this proverb for a second. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Another translation would be, guard your heart with all vigilance, or even keep your heart with all diligence. So these are all slightly different words that are kind of saying the same thing. Now, uh, let me kind of ask this question. What does it mean when scripture talks about our heart? Uh, We come from a, a culture that has a different understanding of what the word heart means than the Bible does. And it's actually very helpful to look at our cultural understanding, and you could, and there's a sense in which you can kind of project it onto what the Bible says, but let's think for a second about what the heart actually is in scripture. So uh, right off the bat, when you say, I wanna love someone with all my heart, uh, like or like a pop song or whatever, it's like, what, what does that mean? What does the word heart signify in English? What do you think? Huh? Everything? Yeah, yeah. There's a sense of everything. Um, did you ever think about how we often oppose the heart and the mind? You ever think about that? So the heart is like sort of your feelings. And there's a there's a there's a band that's like an indie folk rock band. I don't really like the band that much, but they were on alternative rock radio. They're called the Head and the Heart, right? So Oftentimes, we kind of oppose these two things and say, oh, you know, you like learn stuff with your head and then you feel stuff with your heart. So your heart is like the seat of your emotions. In in the Bible, actually, the heart is like your whole being from which your feelings and your thoughts and your will proceed. So another way of thinking about it in this is the verse in Matthew I was going to talk about. Uh, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so in a sense, your heart has an object of its affections, a treasure, and your heart will go after that treasure, right? And so it's a comprehensive thing where your heart um, feels for this treasure. Your heart wills for this treasure. Your heart thinks for this treasure so let me give an example Um, let's pretend for a second that your treasure is going to disneyland okay so my wife loves disneyland and her treasure is that i'm not saying like her existential treasure her life treasure is that but it's like it's up there it's one of the it's one of the main treasures i would say in her life um and so let me kind of show you how um your life And your actions and thoughts and feelings proceed from that treasure. So you really love Disneyland, right? What do you do? You think about Disneyland. And so at any given moment in the year, I've learned to expect this. We've been married for a little over three years. At any given moment in the year, she can be like, we're going to go to Disneyland. Like, we need to go to Disneyland. And I've been thinking about planning this Disneyland trip. And so we went recently. So it'll, be, it'll probably be about a few months before she starts thinking about the next one. Um, so you think about it. It kind of like controls your thoughts. You pay attention. Your thoughts center around this treasure. Not only that, you have feelings for it, right? You have feelings for this treasure where she gets so excited. And, you know, like it's like the, the kind of, it's getting to be cold. It's getting to be wintry. Like some people get sad during the, the winter months. And one of the things that she keeps herself going with is the thought, the feeling of like, we're going to go to Disneyland. We're going to plan another Disneyland trip at some point. Um, And not only that, your will is involved in where your treasure is. So uh, she will, number one, will pay money to go to Disneyland. It's expensive. We will drive a long time to get to Disneyland. Those are all kind of like exercises of the will where you have to choose to do it. And because it's your treasure, you do it right? So can you kind of see how the heart is a very kind of like comprehensive term in scripture where it's more limited and narrow in our kind of conventional understanding? So that's what the heart is. Um, Now, in this passage from Proverbs, what does it mean when the psalmist says, or the proverb person, um, many people, like a lot of these proverbs are actually from King Solomon, and so um, it's actually interesting. We're going to see the interaction with the proverb and Solomon's life. What do you think they mean when it says, keep your heart? Keep your heart. The other translation is to guard your heart. Um, so uh, another like the, the kind of sense you get from this word keep, um, and you see that in the, the term vigilance, do you know what it means to be vigilant about something? It means the, the image is literally like to keep your heart means to position watchmen on the walls, to protect your heart, to guard your heart, to be aware and cognizant of any sort of threat that might come from the outside. And so this, the, prov- the person who writes this saying is saying, guard your heart, keep your heart with all vigilance or with all diligence. And why is it so important to guard your heart or keep your heart? For from it flow the springs of life. So now, we um, I I feel like in our culture, we don't. uh, The closest category to this would be the language about mental health, where uh, we talk a lot about like kind of making like my mental health is not in a good place. And the biblical term for this is kind of like, guard your heart, where it's like, it's kind of like we have this concept where from our mental health proceeds the rest of our life, right? In this proverb, from your heart flows the springs of life. And there's the sense that the state of your heart has a sweeping impact on every aspect of your life and your well-being, right? In the same way, we kind of understand our mental health has a sweeping impact on all our lives. So like, you know, I struggled with depression in the past, um, still do some of the times, not very often, but when you're depressed, uh, your relationships are tough, it's hard to get up out of bed, your appetite can leave, you have very little motivation. And so if your mental state is kind of like tainted in a sense, like it's like a spring full of water that's not fresh, it's kind of dirty or whatever it might be, if it's tainted, then from from that comes everything in your life. And so maybe some of you have that experience the Bible has this kind of um, way of understanding that where from your heart, from where you put your desires and your treasure, it impacts all the rest of your life. And so uh, if your life, this is where we come to the language of like, um, what is your God? What is your idol? What is the thing you desire the most? Um, From that treasure, the rest of your life will proceed. And so we see this in all kinds of different examples. So we see this in like Citizen Kane, uh, where it's like his whole life is consumed by a desire for riches. And because that's his treasure, what happens to his relationships? What happens to whatever it might be? Um, His everything is out of whack because his desires are all for treasure and money and whatever it might be. Um, Another example that I'm gonna return to later is from the, the musical Hamilton. So if you think about Alexander Hamilton, uh, what do you think his treasure was? What do you think his treasure was? America. No, (laughs) I don't know. What? Status? Yeah. So he was constantly striving. Um, He started off kind of low class, and he was constantly working and writing to achieve status and the esteem of others. we're gonna come back to that example later because I think it's kind of his his story actually mimics in many ways the story of Solomon. Um, so keep your heart. Now, like, just let's think about ourselves for a second. When I'm saying this, I don't want you to think about anyone else. I just want you to think about yourself. So as I was preparing this sermon, um, uh, when when this phrase says "keep your heart with all vigilance." Um, at least one of the things that it's talking about, as, as a Jewish person hearing this proverb, probably the primary thing you would think about is where is my heart with God? Like when it says keep your heart with all vigilance, um, what would it mean? It would mean where is my heart with God? And when you think about the 10 commandments, the very first one is I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And so it's kind of like saying, if there is anything else you worship other than me, if all of your attention, your energy, your love, your affection, your feelings, if all of that is directed towards an object other than Yahweh, um, your heart is in a bad state. And when I was kind of thinking about this for myself, um, even as a pastor, even as a preacher, for some reason people often like kind of assume that your heart before God is good, because you are in this position. And I just wanna tell you, that's not the case. This is not something that's a given. You cannot assume that I, (laughs) as your pastor, my heart is always right before God, because it isn't. It isn't always right before God. Um, I have other treasures that compete for my attention and affection. And uh, the other thing my seminary prof always said uh, when he was kind of like training us, was no one ever checks the heart of your pastor. So kind of like every like the, you think the pastor always is looking out for you and he's asking, oh, how are you doing with God, right? Um, but often in churches, people don't ask the pastor how he's, his relationship with God is. And um, he doesn't have peers or he doesn't have like people who he can, he can trust with sharing this about. And so as I was considering this, I was like, where's my heart with God? And I just wanna share like in the last two weeks, Uh, I feel like my heart has been far from God. in in the sense that um, my heart is kind of cold towards God. I don't have a huge desire or motivation to seek after God. Um, It's hard to pray, it's hard to read scripture. And as a result of my hardness and coldness towards God, um, from it flow all sorts of impact, right? So uh, I guarantee you, um, it impacts your marriages It impacts your family relationships. It impacts uh, how you do your work. Um, It impacts your kind of thought life. Where your heart is, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Another way of putting it, if your heart is good, everything is good. If your desire is for God, your whole life follows after that. And all throughout scripture, there are these great promises where you experience the peace of God you experience the joy of your salvation. If your heart is right, the springs of your life flow with fresh, beautiful, cold, crystal clear mountain water. But if your heart isn't right, then everything proceeds from that. Another way of thinking about it, another image is um, you know, my dad had a heart attack a while back. And the heart, it's like the heart pumps blood throughout all of your body. And so if there's some kind of defect, or weakness in your heart, doesn't that have such a crucial impact on everything else? And so, for my my dad, it would be kind of like his heart can't uh, his heart can't pump well enough to his extremities. So we would like go walking together, and he would experience like heart like chest pain, like angina is the term for it, because his heart wasn't able to function well enough. Um, but when he had his heart attack and they had the surgery that was successful, um, they were able to kind of restore his heart and heal his heart. And as a result of that, like on Friday mornings, um, I work out with my dad. I lift weights with him, which is really, really cool. We go walking with him and he doesn't experience any chest pain, which is like, praise God for that. Um, I just want you to think, where is your heart with God? What does it mean to keep your heart? What does it mean to maintain your love for God? And then can you correctly identify when your heart is cold, when your heart is um, in a sense like attached to other things or disordered, when there are other gods in your life who are competing for your attention. Um, So with all of this in mind, let's turn to our passage from 1 Kings. And we're going to use Solomon as an example of our first point, which is let's kind of do an examination of what it looks like to neglect your heart. That's the first point. The second thing we're going to look at, um, from we're going to take the negative example of Solomon and try to see what it looks like to maintain or keep or guard your heart. And then finally, we're going to see who is God? How does God respond to us when we neglect our heart? So those are kind of the three points for us. So let's go to 1 Kings, and we're going to read chapter 11. Um, I'm only going to read a little bit of it. We're going to read verses 1 through 13, okay? 1 Kings 11, 1 through 13. So follow along in your Bibles. Let me read. And as as I'm reading, I want you to kind of think about what is the progression of Solomon as a character in this book. Up until this point, we've seen really high highs for Solomon where Solomon was wiser than anyone in the world. God had granted him miraculous wisdom. God had granted him riches and power and fame and glory and everything. But then this is the end of Solomon's life. And we're going to try to understand what happened. How did Solomon get this low? Um, This is 1 Kings chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, "'Since this has been your practice "'and you have not kept my covenant "'and my statutes that I've commanded you, "'I will surely tear the kingdom from you "'and will give it to your servant. "'Yet, for the sake of David your father, "'I will not do it in your days, "'but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. "'However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, "'but I will give one tribe to your son, for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So now, uh, again, first point. How how are you guys doing? (laughs) People look kind of sleepy. I was pretty sleepy this morning. Uh, It's getting cold and chilly. It's kind of like, it was really hot. And and this is, honestly, uh, this is not like a super exciting, like, positive topic Um, it's really serious and somber and grave and uh, it but but at the same time it's so important that we think about it and honestly again the reason why I think this is so important is we don't have a category for this so this is honestly part of the challenge of trying to prepare a sermon around the topic of keeping your heart um, because we just have no concept for this um, it's really hard for us to understand. When I read the Puritans, um, I love I li- love reading Puritans, and they have this whole like framework and apparatus for what it means, how to keep your heart warm towards God. Um, I, I read the, um, this book uh, by a, game, a guy named uh, Flavel. Uh, it's like Nicholas, but not anyway. Um, Flavel, Flavel, where it's basically on this proverb um, and it's how do you maintain your heart before God? So w- like hopefully we can get through some of that and even get to some sort of a practical how to and like what's helpful in our desire and um, kind of how can we maintain our hearts before God? But let's first look at King Solomon. Uh, I want you to ask, to ask you this question. In 1 Kings chapter three, uh, there's this really incredible passage Where at the very beginning of his reign, chapter 3, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So this is the beginning of his reign. This is when Solomon first became a Christian or whatever you might want to say. He had this deep love for God. And then we read this passage at the end of Solomon's life. And what do we see? Um, King Solomon uh, turned away his heart. His heart was turned away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And so, as a result of that, um, God was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. How did Solomon go from loving the Lord his God to worshiping other gods? And then what would this feel like for God? When we see the word angry, um, the Lord was angry with Solomon. We were kind of like, why was God so angry with him? It doesn't really make sense to us. Like what's wrong with Solomon going after other gods? And I just want you to think for a second about um, the analogy of marriage. And this is kind of a way to understand what's going on in this dynamic between Solomon and uh, God. So I want you to think about this for a second. Um, Imagine for a second that a husband cheats on his wife. Or if, if you're like younger, imagine you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you see them smooching some other boy or girl. What does that feel like? What does that feel like? This is really terrible it's really serious, Um, it's tragic and heartbreaking. And that's actually the feeling that God has when Solomon turns away from him and worships other gods. It's the experience of heartbreak, grief, feelings of betrayal. Now, have you ever considered this? Have you ever considered that um, when, when we relate to God, one of the uh, analogies that the Bible uses is marriage. Marriage is a picture of God's relationship with us, and like when you uh, when you turn away from God as Solomon did, and you walk after other gods, and I'm I'm saying this like for myself. Uh, God is jealous. God is angry. God is grieved by our betrayal and infidelity, the same way that any spouse would be when their heart. Uh, goes away from their spouse. And honestly, like when we talk about sin in our church, um, a lot of you consider sin to be just like breaking a bunch of rules, right? Like it's kind of like there's a teacher and the teacher gives you a curriculum and it's like, you better turn your homework by this date or else you get penalized, right? And the the teacher doesn't really care that much. You know, the teacher probably feels bad if they fail the entire class, but it's kind of like if you don't do your work, like whatever, and, and that I'm being kind of mean to teachers. If they're a good teacher, obviously they'll like be concerned for you and ask like, oh, why are you struggling so much? Right? But we have kind of this negative view of God's rules and sin where it's just like, he doesn't care. It's not really personal to him. He's just going to punish you. He's kind of disinterested. He's like a police officer, whatever it might be. But actually the analogy that um, the Bible uses is that God is a lover. God loves you. God is married to you. He's committed to you. And so when we turn away from him, it's not just impersonal. It's like a spouse cheating on him. It's infidelity. It's unfaithfulness. It's adultery. And this is what Solomon was doing. How did Solomon go from loving his God so much to turning away from these other gods? Um, So this is what neglecting your heart looks like. We're going to make a few observations about how Solomon got here. So number one, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Uh, that's the first step in heart neglect we experience from Solomon. And the way I would label this is Solomon, uh, Solomon is neglectful to uh, neglects obe- obedience to the word of God. That's the first thing. Now, where am I getting that? Uh, it says in verse two, The Lord said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. So God warned Solomon and God said to Israel, don't marry foreign women. Now, right off the bat, um, I'm pretty sure that at some point people have used this to oppose mixed racial marriage. I'm sure that someone in America, you know, slavery times, all of that, Christians have used this to support that. That's not what's going on here. That is absolutely not what's going on here. The reason I know that is because the Bible actually has lots of positive examples of God giving grace to foreigners and letting them enter into the people of God. So in the book of Ruth, for example, Ruth was a Moabite woman. And so if God was uh, if God was uh, forbidding marriage to other like foreigners, other nations, uh, Ruth would not be allowed to marry Boaz at the end of the book. But they get married and the whole book of Ruth is actually like a positive example. And not only that, Ruth was in the line of Christ. So the whole Bible is using this example saying that it's actually really good that Ruth married Boaz and God loved that, that was faithfulness for Ruth. And that was faithfulness for Boaz that he would take care of her and take care of uh, Naomi. Um, So then what's going on here instead? What differentiates Ruth from these other women that Solomon married? What differentiates them is Ruth became an Israelite. Ruth said, I want to follow after your God. And that's the difference, right? So God is not trying to say no mixed race marriage, otherwise I wouldn't exist, right? We all know that. That's not the point. The main point is God is jealous for the hearts of his people, and he wants to protect them from anything that would lead them away from worshiping and loving him. And when you look at all the laws in the Bible, when you look at the warnings in Scripture, um, that's the reason why they're there. So um, there's a passage that has been absolutely transformative to me where it says his commandments are not burdensome. That means anything that God says in scripture, his point is not to be a kill droid, not to ruin your fun. It's he wants your heart and he knows in a sense how frail our hearts are, how prone to wander they are. And so he wants to keep our hearts, help us keep our hearts. And so God commanded the Israelites not to marry foreign women in their law. And Solomon knew this, not only did he know it, there's this part in Deuteronomy 17 where it says he would have had to copy by hand the entire law as the king, and he probably would have read it every day, which means he would have been extremely familiar with it, and he would have known he's not supposed to do that. And so we see the first step in neglecting your heart is to neglect obedience to the word of God, and this was probably not like a, like a huge dramatic thing for him it was probably like a slow compromise that took place over a long time, right? I mean, he got 700 wives, 300 concubines, foreign women. Uh, that took that probably took a long time, right? And so he had kind of a settled attitude towards the Word of God, where his heart was cold, he was disobedient. And I guarantee you, if that is your settled attitude towards the Word of God, um, you are not keeping your heart with God, you're not maintaining your love for God, you're neglecting your love for God. And honestly, if, have you ever wondered, why is my, uh, why do I feel so cold towards God? I've experienced how much God loves me. I've had really strong feelings towards him at different points. I'm not saying all of you have, but if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've probably experienced that. And then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you're like, why am I so far from God? Why do I feel so like cold? Where did my love go? And potentially it could be this neglect towards obedience, like really practical obedience to the word of God. Um, what else do we see about neglecting the heart? So what's the opposite of neglecting your heart? What, how do you keep your heart? Um, if you look at the Proverbs passage, right before the verse I read, it says, keep attentive, pay attention to the word of God, obey and hear the word of God. That's what it means to keep your heart with all diligence and vigilance. Um, and so some more markers we can see. Uh, these are kind of like symptoms, right? You want to keep your heart healthy. What are symptoms you can observe that demonstrates that your your heart has been neglecting? Um, you're neglecting the care of your heart. Um, another one would be kind of like your attitude towards the Word of God um, or your attentiveness towards the Word of God. So like, I mean, I find this in myself, too, where um, you know, like I'm listening to <laughs> this is kind of awkward, whatever. I'm listening to Dan preach, and, and it, it's not, it doesn't have to do with Dan's preaching. It has to do with my heart, right, where I'm not attentive to him preaching. I'm not attentive to the word of God coming through Dan. And that's, that's my fault. It's not him. Dan is faithfully preaching the word of God, but my heart is cold and therefore, I don't want to listen. I don't pay attention. That's one sign that you're neglecting the care of your heart. Um, what's another sign that you're neglecting the care of your heart? Let's keep on looking. Um, there's this kind of... Uh, let, me use, uh, let me use a picture for this. Neglecting your heart is like drifting in the ocean. Okay. Neglecting your heart is like drifting in the ocean. It doesn't all happen at once. Where if you look at his life, um, if you look at at Solomon, uh, it says in verse four, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Now, like this is really weird because Solomon loved God so much at the beginning, so what happened? Um, And what I would say is he drifted. Uh, When you look at a trajectory, so let's, let's imagine this for a second. You're trying to go in a direction and you're off by like like one degree. That's just a tiny little difference, right? But if you keep on going in that direction for 50 years, you're like walking one degree off or you, drive in, you fly in a plane for a couple of hours, one degree off, will you arrive at your destination? The longer you go in the wrong direction, even if it's just a tiny bit off, it can actually lead you to be in a completely different place than when you first started. And so in the same way, theres um, I forgot what the method is called. It's, is it like the Kaizen method or whatever? The idea is you get like 1% better every single day. And if you get 1% better every day, do you realize the returns and compounding effect that happens in that? They did that for the Toyota factory, the manufacturer. And so that's why their car manufacturing was so excellent. They had this kind of philosophy of success, 1% better every day. Um, if you're drifting, you be, you you, get, you just get a little bit worse every day. And you drift a little bit. So you, like when you're in the ocean, you're like boogie boarding or whatever it is. Have you ever noticed the shore and where your group is on the beach, it starts off to be like right there. And then you're just boogie boarding, having a good time. And then you realize maybe 15 minutes later, um, you're like all the way over there, right? And you have to like paddle all the way back to get in line with where your group is, where your towels are. That's the slow drift. That's what happened to Solomon. He started by neglecting the word of God, and then he continued in that pattern for a long period of time. And as a result of that, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, did not wholly follow the Lord. He went after these other gods. And so God experienced tragedy, betrayal, Um, Solomon committed spiritual adultery. Um, So this is really somber. Uh, When I think about the pandemic, when I think about um, our spiritual lives in our church, uh, there's a great question that kind of haunts us, which is, are we slowly drifting? Are we continuing to seek God? Are we continuing to express love for him? And again, are we following with all our heart? It's not just our feelings. It's not just our intellect. It's not just our will. It's all of it. Is your, are your feelings cold towards God? Is your mind bored by God? God is not boring. He's not, though often you, feel, <laughs> you may feel like it. He's not. Um, people have written many, many books on thinking about God, Is your will cold towards God? Where you can say all the right things, you can feel really strongly towards God, then you leave church and on Monday morning, you just don't listen to him. You don't use your will in following him. That's what it looks like to neglect your heart and to neglect God. Um, And so this is kind of heavy. Um, Let's kind of move on to the next point. Uh, What does it look like to keep or maintain your heart? With God, And then the other thing is, uh, what does this passage show us about God? If you look at verse 9, it says, The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, um, who appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. So what I want you to see here is... When in our desire and effort to keep our hearts before God and to maintain our hearts, uh, we're not doing it alone in a sense, where God is reminding him, <laughs> God speaks to him multiple times, he appeared to him twice and commanded him, like, don't do that. And because Solomon doesn't obey God, and Solomon is not sensitive towards God's leaning, uh, leadings, um, that's why he turns away. So. Uh, here's a big kind of point that I want you all to think about when it comes to keeping your heart with all diligence. Um, This is like relationship counseling, basically. So if you've been married or if you've been in a relationship, um, there's a thing that kind of can subtly slowly happen uh, where you and if you've ever been married, this is—you're just—you just know this is normal. Like, if you haven't been married, you might think this is kind of like, oh my gosh, you have such a terrible marriage, Daniel. But no, this is like absolutely normal. Um, at some point, you realize you stop listening to your spouse, and you don't really make an effort to listen to them. Yeah, it's not just Peter. It's—it's <laughs> it's super duper common, and this is a symptom of your heart. Uh, potentially like growing cold or kind of neglecting in like a subtle drifting way, right? And it's the same way with God where like, I just want you to think about yourself. When you come to church or when you read the Bible, is your heart open? Do you want to listen to God? Do you have a desire to hear from him? Do you have a desire to do what he says? Um, If you don't, then I would just say your heart is cold. You're not keeping your heart. You're neglecting your heart before God. You're not maintaining your love For God. Um, So let's keep going. So I I actually want to ask you, let's try to make this a little bit practical. Um, For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, um, or those of you who have been married for a long time even, because these things we can compare them, what are ways that you maintain your love for someone? What are ways that you maintain your love for God? Um, I actually want to ask you guys, uh, if you want to do this, when we finish service, um, here's a challenge, Uh, just ask someone. Ask someone, how do you maintain your love for God? Um, When I was thinking about how to preach this, I I realized like everyone has lots of different answers when it comes to this. Um, So I've talked to a lot of people. I have one friend who would listen to, um, there's a guy named Luis Palau on K-Love, and he would give his little word of the day on Christian radio. And as this guy was driving to work, he would hear this word from Luis Palau, like some kind of scriptural devotion, and that kept his heart. That was really encouraging to him. So when he went to work, he, his mind would be kind of on God and remembering him. Another person, like you listen to Christian radio and you sing songs. Worship songs get stuck in your head and during your, your day, you hum them or they kind of, like, like, those are some ways that other people do it. Um, this is why I'm totally unhelpful. Uh, what keeps my heart is reading D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is an English preacher, um, from, he died in 1981. So this is an old, dead, white guy. And I keep my heart by having him preach to me about the glory of God and the presence of God and his compassion, his love. And it makes God real to me. It warms my heart towards God. So, like, honestly, this is the way I do it. When Bible reading is hard, when prayer is hard, I don't start by just trying to jump in and read the Bible or pray because I know that that won't help. What helps me is to let D. Martin Lloyd-Jones preach to my heart and say, set your heart on God. Look at the beauty, the glory, the graciousness of God and that warms my heart so I can be receptive, so I can pray, so I can hear from God's word. Um, do you know yourself? Do you know your heart? Do you know what helps you keep your heart? I'm curious about what everyone else would share, um, so go like, ask other people um, what helps keep your heart. Uh, but then let's look at the kind of last thing that we see from this passage. How does God respond when we've been unfaithful? Um, and this is the most amazing thing. Uh, this, this, the grace of God in this passage is kind of subtle, but it's definitely there. Look at what, look at what um, God says to Solomon. Uh, again, God was angry. God was betrayed. Solomon had committed spiritual adultery against God. And then God said this, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statues I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. And you're like, what the heck? How is that gracious? God is just punishing him. What's the deal? But then look at the next part. For the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days. And so God is actually saying, even though you are unfaithful to me, I'm going to shelter you and protect you, from the full consequences of your unfaithfulness out of my love for you and grace for you and my promise to your father, David. And this is really, really beautiful. So Solomon is experiencing grace on the basis of God's promise to David, right? Solomon is undeserving of God's grace, but because of David, God's promise to David, the consequences are muted. God holds back from fully punishing him. So can you imagine if you were Solomon? You had the most powerful, rich kingdom in the world, and then within your lifetime, everything fell apart. That would be so incredibly devastating and heartbreaking for him, and God spared him from the full consequences out of faithfulness to David. And in the same way, for us as Christians, um, when we are unfaithful to God, the grace of God is that on the basis of Christ's faithfulness and God's promise to Jesus, uh, we experience forgiveness and grace when we turn away from God. And there are so many different passages. So like one real quick, um, the story of the prodigal son uh, has been so like instrumental in my experience and relationship with God and God keeping my heart. Uh, in, In the prodigal son, this guy basically asked for his inheritance um, from his dad before his dad is dead. And, and he goes off until he goes to Las Vegas and he blows it all, right? There's a famine, um, a lot of bad circumstances happen, and you find him and he's feeding pigs. So he became a far he went from like, he went from like, a, like a, a finance bro, an investment banker, super rich, super successful, to feeding pigs. And he couldn't even eat the food that the pigs had because that was how destitute and poor he was. And so he walked back to his father's house because he's like, even the servants at my father's house have it way better than me. They eat way better food than, like, than the pigs eat, right? So if, God, if the father will just take me back, I'll have a better life. And the whole time he's expecting his father to say, You've brought shame to me, son. I can't believe you squandered my wealth. You're in the doghouse. Like, you live with the dogs from now on. I'll give you some food, but not much. Like, you get kibble. Um, But then what happened instead? When the father saw the son from a distance, when the son had been completely disobedient and unfaithful to him, the father ran towards him and gave him a hug and said, you are my son. That's the love and grace of God for us, even when we're unfaithful. And so when I, when I sin, when my heart is far from God, that passage is so beautiful to me, where it says there's rejoicing in heaven for one sinner who comes to repentance. When our hearts are far from God, how does God see us? He will discipline us, and we're going to see more about that in the passage coming up. Um, He is grieved by our unfaithfulness. He's jealous. He wants our heart. He wants our whole self the same way that any spouse would be devastated by an affair. And they want the whole heart of that other person. That's how God is towards us. And yet, God is so gracious that he even absorbs the pain of the infidelity and welcomes us back. And he did that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, so I wanted to go back to Hamilton for a second, um, just to finish up. Uh, in the musical Hamilton, the main character, Alexander Hamilton, is married to his wife, Eliza Schuyler Hamilton. And over the course of the musical, they start off, they're super duper in love. They're, they're great. Alexander Hamilton is like a meteor. He's rising to the top of the social strata. Um, he becomes the secret the secretary of the treasury um, in the United States. So he's like really, really powerful, really influential. Um, His family is off. Uh, I think they were visiting England or something. And he was working uh, working on a project for his work. And he had an affair with another woman. And to make matters worse, the husband of the woman he had an affair with was going to blackmail him and use that information to destroy his political career. So instead, he released these documents where he admitted that he had cheated on his wife, and it became public. So this was one of the first public sex scandals. I think it was probably the first public sex scandal in America. Can you imagine what it would be like to be his wife in that situation? Can you imagine what that would be like? The next thing that happened in the musical, his son Philip, who had recently graduated from college, was defending his father's honor. And, you know, they did the thing where you like slap the other person with the glove and you're like, I challenge you to a duel. So Philip dueled, uh, went, was in a duel with someone else to defend his father's honor. He was shot and killed. And so his son had died. Can you imagine being Alexander Hamilton? Can you imagine being uh, Eliza Schuyler Hamilton? Not only has her husband betrayed her, cheated on her, but their son has died in a duel. And then there is, without a doubt, um, the best song in the musical is called It's Quiet Uptown. And in this song, uh, Eliza's sister, I- Angelica, is watching them, they moved to up- Uptown, New York, and I believe, and he's walking around in the city thinking about what he's done thinking about how his son is dead how he's cheated on his wife and there's this little phrase at where it says there's a grace too powerful to name and then uh at one point angelica observes eliza and alexander hamilton starting to hold hands as they're walking in the park and they went from being estranged and uh, Eliza being absolutely devastated by his unfaithfulness to holding hands and walking in the park. And the chorus, the other singers in the musical, they say, forgiveness, who can imagine? Who could imagine being cheated on by your spouse in that way? Who could imagine your son dying in a duel and then you extending grace to your husband, your cheating husband, and welcoming him back and forgiving him? That is unbelievable. And this song will make you weep. That's based on the true story of Eliza Schuyler Hamilton. And do you know the reason she did that? She did that out of her Christian faith. She did that because she was extending to Alexander Hamilton the type of grace and compassion that God extends to us when we're unfaithful. Um, Throughout all of the Old Testament, Israel was constantly unfaithful to God and yet God never abandoned them. And for us, if if you have become a Christian and you have been saved, God will never abandon you, no matter what you do. That's how good he is. That's how gracious he is. And so therefore, wherever your heart has been, keep your heart. (laughs) Don't neglect your heart. Um, And then know this other thing, God is a jealous God. That feels like a bad word, right, to be jealous? But in this case, what it means is God will not stop working in your life and by the Holy Spirit imploring you, trying to bring you back, extending grace and forgiveness to you so that you might come back to know him and experience the joy of your marriage with God. And Eliza is a beautiful example of that. Who can imagine that? Who can imagine that? The other really cool thing about this um, life and this musical is another line in that song. Alexander Hamilton was a Christian when he was young in his childhood. And then in this song, there's a line where it says, um, uh, I take my children to church. I make a sign at the door. Um, I bow my head and pray. I never used to do that before or something like that. I I might get it wrong a tiny bit, but that's the basic idea where Eliza extending grace to him has reconciled with him, him with God. Isn't that so beautiful and amazing? Where the way we extend grace and love to other people who mistreat us, that is a way that we can show them the love and grace of God in a way that can help heal people and reconcile them to their Heavenly Father. Do you see why it's important to keep your heart? It's so you can experience the joy of fellowship with God, but not only that, so you can be a living example of grace to the people around you. This is the tragedy of Solomon. He neglected his heart, he had all the gifts in the world, and yet his heart had turned away from God. You can be in church, you can serve, you can have all the gifts, you can have all the talents, you can do everything right. If your heart is far from God, it is all worthless. And that's why you must keep your heart before God. Maintain it, keep it with all vigilance, with all diligence, But you don't have to do it alone. That's why we are a part part of the body of Christ. Um, Ask people for help. Admit to them that your heart is far from God. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to walk with you as you try to reconcile with God. And you can't fake it. You can't fake your feelings towards God. You can't fake your will towards God. You can't fake your mind towards God. It's your heart. Where your heart is, there your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If God is not your treasure, Um, it will be clear. You You will know it eventually because your feelings, your thoughts, your will, you're not following after him. But he's so gracious that he will take us back in a heartbeat when we repent and confess. Will you do that? Will you consider where your heart is during the pandemic? If you've been drifting, turn back to him because he's so gracious. He won't hold you at arm's length. He won't punish you forever for your unfaithfulness but he'll welcome you back and have joy in his heart for you confessing and repenting. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I praise you that you're so gracious to us when we don't deserve it. Um, I praise you that you give us this warning from Solomon's life not to neglect our hearts. Um, God, I don't know how to help people, how to communicate with people, what this feels like, what the experience is like to neglect your heart or keep your heart. Um, So I pray, Lord, that your body, your spirit would be guiding us in truth, and this would practically help people turn back to you from wherever they've been, Lord. I pray we'd be a people who have undivided hearts towards you, um, who who are pure in our hearts and our desire to love you, to seek you, that we would be faithful to you the way you have been faithful to us and love us perfectly. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.